So we're going to, some Sundays, we're going to go over our um, awakening values. Um, the awakening values are on the website, on the awakeningathens.com. And they're just real practical. So the Lord just put it on my heart to kind of go over them again. And so on some Sundays, we're going to talk about one value. So today we're going to talk about honest, open relationships and just kind of a way to practice honest, open relationships. First John 1, 7 says, but if I walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. I walk in the light so that I might have fellowship with others. And so I'm just going to give a quick example of like two things about doing this. Um, So um, we went through like a pretty hard thing with one of our kids um, over the last couple of years. And um, there were times where I would completely lose it. Maybe I'm the only parent that ever completely loses it, but I would completely lose it. So they're like a teenager, you know, and so they're like able to understand that's not my normal. And so when that would happen, I just would be honest and be like, I'm scared. So I'm acting like this because I'm scared and I don't know what to do. So I'm having a tantrum. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. And it just shifted everything about how we walked through that season is just being honest. Did I want to tell them that I was scared? No, because I'm supposed to know what I'm doing. I'm their parent. (laughs) Like, I'm supposed to have this thing, like, a book or something. But, like, I'm just don't. And when I would do that, the whole, like, I walk in the light so that I might have fellowship with others, it's like it opened up fellowship because I was honest about why I was freaking out. And then another thing that kind of um, is a testimony of mine about walking in the light and not only fellowship with others, but how it brings freedom is I have always found that in areas where I've had like a real battle with sin, the more I share about how God has brought me out of that, the more free I get the less shame is attached to it. It's like the more light that shines on it, the more it looks like Jesus. Now, the sin doesn't ever look like Jesus, but the freedom just continues to come forth as I share those things. When I was in, um, right out of college, I was in a really dysfunctional relationship and, and did things that were, you know, not things God wanted me to do. And I just kept it so hidden until I was, it was time for me to get married. So then Travis was the first person I ever told about anything. No one knew at all. It was like my hidden sin. And I told Travis, and I remember, it took me like an hour and a half. We sat in the Briarwood Baptist Church parking lot for an hour and a half. And I was like, I have something to tell you. He thought I was going to tell him that I had like gone to prison or like, because <laughs> I just could not say it. But that's what the enemy does is he just like wants us to keep it all in here because it can be dark. So then I told each of my bridesmaids and then I talked to my mom and then I just started telling people like, and the Lord was like, I'll tell you when to tell the story. So it wasn't, not everybody needs to know all your dirty laundry. Like 
That's just, you know, I, nobody wants to know all that stuff. But when the Lord tells you, this is an opportunity that I've put in front of you and you can share those things, it's like he puts his light on it and sets you free. So those are just two of my personal testimonies for our activation. What I want us to do is um, pair up with maybe someone that you don't share a roof with, you know, just like pair up with someone. And um, I just want you to share um, two things. I want you to share one way that you've seen the goodness of the Lord, like where you've seen God be good. It can be from any time in your life, right? Just one way that you've seen God be good. And then one, maybe one area where you're, you have some fear that you that you're experiencing fear. And the, the word says that perfect love casts out fear. But if we're honest with one another about those things, because the thing about being honest that we also have to remember is it's not always bad. <laughs> Sometimes we're like, oh, I gotta be honest. I gotta tell you all the bad stuff. But like, I mean, really, like, let's think about our life. It's like a lot of good <laughs> and these couple of little bad things. I mean, it's a lot of good. Like I can, I know y'all, like I actually know everybody in this room and I can tell y'all so many good things about your life, right? And then there's these couple of bad things. So just remember that being honest in relationship is not always telling the bad stuff. It's not always talking about sin. It's also talking about like how you've seen the faithfulness of God and how you like laughed at something, you know, you did something funny and all those kind of things, like laughter's like medicine. So I want y'all to share one way that you've seen God be good and one way that where you have fear. And in the way that you have fear, I want us to pray for one another. So this will take like, I'm thinking like five to seven minutes for us to pair up, share the thing that you've seen and be good, share the thing where you have fear and then pray for one another. Um, and... These are just ways for us to practice. Um, is there a bug? <laughs> Laura's been attacked. Okay, so Laura has fear of a bug, so we're going to pray for her. <laughs> I'm sorry, and I have microphone Tourette, so I can't. I would be horrible at this because I just talk to people when whoever's doing whatever. Yeah. Are you okay? You think you gave it to Brian? Okay, good. Okay, got it. Oh, and they're loud too. Yeah. Yeah, I saw Ella rescue you. That was good. Um, okay. Um, all right, y'all pair up, find someone that you don't share a roof with, and uh, let's do our activation. How many of y'all heard the news about uh, Israel yesterday getting bombed? Sir. So, um, there's many different terrorist organizations in the Middle East. Hamas is the one that's in southern Palestine, which is the Gaza Strip right there on the border of southern Israel. And so Hamas, which is funded by Iran, and the U.S. gave Iran billions and billions of dollars. Iran, in turn, uses that to fund terrorist organizations and build nuclear weapons and things like that. And so Hamas, which is funded by Iran, so they're well-funded, uh, they sent, at the, the last report I read, it was 2,500 missiles 
and to Israel. And so Israel has the Golden Dome anti-missile system, which is like state-of-the-art and actually shoots down most of the missiles, but some of them landed. But they also invaded with troops in the, over, the, over the border because they were taking families hostage. They were killing the men, leaving the children and the women. They were raping women. There's 300 people dead at the last report, and then uh, six, over 6,000 injured. So yesterday when I heard the news, it just kind of it hit different than maybe years past when there's been things going on, and I was just kind of grieving about it. And so I had, a, I had written... Or I had notes for a totally different sermon. So this is kind of pieced together. But I do want to talk this morning about God's heart for Jerusalem and for Israel. And so if you read, there's actually many, a large section of the church, the global church, that believe that the church has actually replaced Israel. And you only have to read Romans 11 to realize that that's not true. Like you go read Romans 11 and there's like, you would have to just make some big hurdles to get around the fact that God's replaced Israel or it has, has not replaced Israel. It says that Israel is a, is a cultivated olive tree and we as Gentiles are these wild olive branches that have been grafted in to the tree that is Israel and that even the unbelieving Jews, that if they decide to come back to the Messiah, that they can even, as a cultivated shoot, they can actually be grafted back in as well. And so it talks about, so God has always, Israel has always been God's favored nation. They've been favored to lead the nation to the Lord. That was their job. They were to be a, a nation that was characterized by the presence of God. And so one of the reasons why people think that the church has replaced Israel is because we've been grafted in. So like all the, the, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ, right? So what are we to be characterized as Christians, Gentile Christians, is the presence of God, right? So we, all of these promises that God made to Israel, or for us as well. Sometimes we just think, it's, oh, it's just for us. We're the church. We're, we believe in the Messiah, not all, the Jews don't. And that's, and that's the truth, is that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah to be saved. You're, just because you're blood Jew doesn't mean that you're, you're going to be spared at judgment. But the fact that, that God has a plan for the Jewish people and for the land of Israel and for Jerusalem that's in the prophets that have words that have not been fulfilled yet. Okay? And so you look at Zechariah and Psalm 132. So like, and I'll read all of these, but as far as Jerusalem is concerned, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 35, it says that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. You go to Psalm 132, the Lord has chosen Zion. Zion is just another name for Jerusalem. 
He has desired it for his dwelling place. And listen to this. This is my resting place forever. This is my resting place forever. Here, here I will dwell for I have desired it. Zechariah 2.8 says that he who touches you, talking about Israel, touches the apple of my eye. So they have this favored, they're favored in God's sight. Zechariah chapter 8. I'm jealous for Zion with great zeal. With great fervor, I'm jealous, zealous for her. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion. I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. Does anybody know Jerusalem as the city of truth yet? That's, that's not its name yet. It's coming when, when Jesus returns. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, it will be called the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time, Jerusalem should be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered to it. So sometimes we spiritualize these, uh, these verses because we don't know what to do with them. And so when you read like Jeremiah chapter three, verse 17 says, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord and all the nations shall be gathered to it, to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Have all the nations been gathered to Jerusalem yet? No. But that's what's going to happen. It says in Isaiah 2, all the nations are going to go to Jerusalem and Jesus is going to reign from there. It says that they're going to come to Jesus to make decisions on behalf of their nation because he's going to be doing Isaiah 61, repairing the, the ruins and all, everything, all these things have been destroyed, repairing the breaches up bringing joy to the brokenhearted, all, all the things in Isaiah 61. So, Isaiah 2, I'll, I'll just read one verse from it. It says, In the latter days all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Okay. So Jesus is not only going to rule Israel and the whole earth from Jerusalem, but he's, but he's only going to do it when he was, he's invited from the leadership of Jerusalem. So you remember when uh, it was Passion Week, Jesus said, I will not come back until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus is not going to come back until he, he's welcomed. You go to Zechariah chapter 12, and it talks about every tribe in Israel seeing Jesus, their eyes being opened, and they seeing Jesus as the one whom they have pierced, and they're being and there's repentance. So it says, the house of Judah will mourn, the house of Benjamin will mourn, the house of so-and-so will mourn. And you go on, and it says their children will mourn, their wives will mourn, their men will mourn. And so it's it's a repenting that they for years have not seen Jesus as the Messiah. For generations and generations, they have not seen Jesus as the Messiah. So there's going to be this, as, as much as they've longed for a Messiah, and they just didn't realize he's been, he's been here, he's come, he's, and he's coming back. So you, you read in Acts chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, 
Repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you, meaning Israel, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things, which God spoke by his holy prophets. And so Jesus' return is contingent on Jewish people turning to him. It's, it's, it says right there in Acts 3 that it's, it's coming whenever uh, they repent and the times of refreshing come and Jesus is, is recognized as king. Romans chapter 11. Let's actually just turn there. Everybody turn to Romans chapter 11. So we're just going to kind of read this along together. I mean, this isn't going to take too long, but we'll, we'll stop kind of along the way and make and just highlight some things. But Romans 11 is, is a super, super important chapter for the church. And Paul is writing this. Remember, Paul, even though he was a Jew of Jews and a Pharisee, he was an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter... James and John, they were apostles to the Jews, but, but Paul was sent to the Gentiles, which is, you would think that God would have sent him to the Jews since he was a Pharisee, but he sent him to the Gentiles. And uh, so let's start in verse one. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? Plain and simple right there. May it never be. For I too am an Israelite a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? So here you have a Jewish prophet complaining about his country, <laughs> about his nation. Lord, they've killed your prophets and they've torn down your altars and I alone am left and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there's also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking it has not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it and the rest were hardened. So it's talking about some, a remnant of Jews coming to the faith, all right? Verse eight, just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see, eyes to see not and ears to hear not down to this very day. And David says, let the table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? So is he saying, he's saying, is God done with them? Is he completely done with them? May it never be. But by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles 
to make them jealous. So the promise is, hey, you're going to be a peculiar people marked by my presence. That's come upon the church, right? That's come upon Gentiles, people. And they're going to see, and it's going to increase where, and part of Jews becoming jealous is seeing our love for one another and seeing our love for God and seeing our love for them. You know, there was actually a video of Hasidic Jews spitting on Christians in Israel this past week. And so what would a Hasidic Jew, you know, if you're in, so they're persecuting Christians. And it's because they're blind and and they've got that spirit of stupor on them, like Romans 11 just says. But we're called as Christians to, to love the Hasidic Jew and to and for that love to make them jealous, like, how could you love me? How can you? That's, that's the power of loving your enemies. It's because you can't explain it because it's not human. To love your enemies is not a human thing. It's a God thing. Verse 12. Now, if their transgression is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their fulfillment be? But I'm speaking to you who are Gentiles. Inasmuch as I am an apostle of Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If somehow I might move to jealousy my fellow countrymen and save some of them. So Paul's literally saying, I wish my ministry to Gentiles could be magnified so the Jews could be saved. I wish they could see all these Gentiles encountering God, having relationship with God so that they wouldn't want that. Verse 15. For if their rejection is the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So when the Jews rejected Jesus, the gospel went to the Gentiles. Now what Paul's saying, he says, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So when their eyes are open to the, to the gospel and they receive Jesus, what it's going to mean for is that it's the time of the resurrection of the dead is, is, is to come and that they're going to receive resurrection life. Verse 16. If the first piece of dough is holy, the lump is also. And if the root is holy, the branches are too. But if some of the branches are broken off, and you being a wild olive were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree. Do not be arrogant toward the branches. Okay, this is important. Do not look down upon Jewish people because our eyes have been opened by God. He's, he's saying, do not be arrogant toward the unbelieving Jews. But if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You're here because the prophets and the law came through the Jewish people. Jesus is a Jewish man. He's a Jewish man. And he came as, as from the line of Abraham. Verse 19, you will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right, they were broken off for their unbelief. 
but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. So the, what gets you in, Jew or Gentile, is belief, is faith. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fail severity, but to you, God's kindness. If you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. So it's important to continue in the faith. I don't know how God measures it all out, but there's, I don't necessarily believe in once saved, always saved. And what I mean by that is that I have friends who had ministries and they're, they're no longer even walking with Jesus. So are they continuing in the faith? Are they once saved, always saved? You know, and they're rejecting Jesus outright. What do you, I mean, what do you say to that? So judgment is in the hands of God, but my point is what Paul's saying is, is that that can happen. You can walk away from, you can walk away from God. Verse 23, and they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again. For you, if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more would these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So it's a partial hardening, not a complete hardening. They've got hope. There's a chance. Just, just like Lloyd on Dumb and Dumber said, so you're saying there's a chance. All right. And so, but it, it's, it's not going, the veil's not going to come off until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, till every nation's heard the gospel. And so, verse 26, and so all Israel will be saved, just as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. Has that happened yet? Is, is, is Israel still, I mean, Tel Aviv is like one of the most perverse cities in the, in the world. And so this hasn't happened yet. Like Israel hasn't been cleansed from its ungodliness. Verse 27, this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of their fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God has not done away with Israel. It's irrevocable. Him being chosen, them being favored, a favored nation, you can't take that away. For just as you once you were disobedient to God, but now have been shown mercy because of their disobedience, so these also now have been disobedient, that because of the mercy shown to you, they may also be shown mercy. For God has shut up all in disobedience so that he may show mercy to all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor? And who has given it to him that he might be paid back to him again? 
For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. And so when Paul's saying this, he's like the mystery, oh, the depths of the riches. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Because some of this, you're like, I don't know if this doesn't, so what, you know, why would God like, why, why would there be a partial, partial hardening? You know, all these workings of God and, and dealings with Israel, you're like, why does he do it this way? And Paul's saying, oh, the depths of it. He's like, he's God. Who counsels the Lord? Do you tell God what's a good idea? Or does he have the good ideas? <laughs> and so... When people are offended, this this message can be offensive to some people, and it's because like they just don't understand the ways of God, or they can't just trust the Lord with it. But this this is the way the Lord does things. This is how He's dealing with Israel. This is how He's dealing with the Gentiles. And so, my purpose in just reading through this, like I said, I heard about the news yesterday. So in the very least, I was like, we'll just read through Romans 11 and get a basic understanding of like, God's not done with Israel. It's important what goes on over there. It's important. The land of Israel itself, there's promises connected to it. Jerusalem itself, there's promises connected to it. So we have to be aware of that and we have to know because that's part of God's plan. That's part of his heart. And if we want to know him, we need to know his heart about these things. So I just have a few prayer points um, you go back to the God and Israel thing. We're not going to pray all these points together, but we might send these out in like a text in church. I'm not sure, but pray for the families separated as men are being called away to fight. And also the families that are separated by kidnapping. Pray for peace and protection, miracles and supernatural healings over those injured the 10 towns in southern Israel being taken by terrorists will be invaded with God's angel armies and people will be miraculously protected. Pray for those taking refuge in bomb shelters and peace for the children and families. Pray for those taken hostage to be set free back with their families again. Pray for peace, for God's peace, and that he would encounter those people supernaturally during this time of chaos and terror. And then this is the one that you can easily remember because it's in the Word of God and you can just go back to it. Psalm 122. Sorry, do you need me to go back? Yeah. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. For the sake of my brothers and my friends, I will now say, may peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good for the sake of the Lord, of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek good. So the Lord wants us to seek the good of Israel. Genesis 15 says, those who bless you, I will bless and those who curse you, I will curse. So it's important to be, to be a supporter of Israel, even though Israel is not a perfect country. There's no perfect countries, by the way. <laughs> Israel has not been perfect and no, no other nation has been. But that doesn't change the fact that God has a plan for Israel and his heart for Israel. So um, let's just pray. Let's pray Psalm 122 and we'll, we'll close it up here. You got anything, man? 
Lord, we do pray in accordance with your word that peace would come to Israel, peace would come to Jerusalem. Father, we ask that you would release your host, Lord, that you would come as the Lord of hosts and, and supernaturally fight for Israel, Lord, that you would save lives. Father, that there would be no more loss of life, God, that there would, um, Father, that families would be brought back together, that comfort and and healing would be brought to the families affected by this. And Lord, we just pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God is, is, is there might be many Israelis longing for the Messiah to come to rescue them. And I pray that they would see that Jesus is the Messiah. Lord, that they would see that their eyes would be open, God. Lord, that they would turn to Jesus right now as their hope, as the hope of the nations. So Lord, we know that when you come and you reside in Jerusalem, that not only will Jerusalem be at peace, but all the nations of the earth. So Lord, we just say, the Spirit and the Bride say, come Lord Jesus, come. And we pray for the peace of Jerusalem in your mighty name, amen. So, uh, you know, we don't always address like political things at church because it's not always appropriate. I mean, it's, but, uh, the way I think about this is we're the bride of Christ and we're the bride and we're connected with the big bride, like the big church. And when this happened, it like made me so sad yesterday. And the, the way I would say that it made me sad is like, I don't know if you've ever had like a, a family friend that like, Maybe it just seemed like they were like getting their feet back under them and then something came and pulled the rug out of, from under them. It just, that's what it felt like. You know, where you're just like, man. So last week was, you know, Sukkot. So it's like the Feast of Tabernacles. It was like the time of celebration and joy. And on the eighth day after it's over, so there's seven days of Sukkot and then there's the eighth day. And on the eighth day, they rest. And on the eighth day, when all the guard was down and everyone was resting. And these are, there are like our brothers and sisters are over there, like, right? These are not just Jews. These are like Christians over there, like fighting for the return of Christ. So that's the way I think about it. It's like, I'm over here in Athens, Georgia, Watkinsville, just like doing my life. There are Christians in Israel, like fighting for Jesus to come back. And... They have been sharing the gospel all week long through, you know, Jesus was at Sukkot. He was at the Feast of Tabernacles. He was there and he said, come to me, I am the living water. And so people are sharing the story all week long in their tents. And then they rest on the eighth day. And this is when they came in and were attacked. And so I just wanted to share that with y'all because I am the least news watchingest. I mean, I'm just out of it. But when this information came, it just broke my heart for my brothers and sisters in Christ that are there because it does, it is, it's, uh, it impacts us, the bride, the body. And so I think that's why we wanted to stir intercession for us because while we're not over there, like we're not there and we're in all 
intents and purposes, we're going to leave here and not be impacted very much by what's going on. But in the spirit, there is a lot going on and we need to fight. And we need to fight for our brothers and sisters in Christ over there. We need to fight for the Jews, just like, I mean, what everything Travis said, like bringing back to mind, like the, this is the root that we're fighting for, the root of the tree to come back to Jesus, to know that he is the Messiah. So I just felt like God had given me that compassion and that um, passion for what was going on. And um, I know some people are more like Travis, where they just like, the knowledge is just enough to go in and get after it. But I have to almost have like an emotional connection and that was mine. So I just wanted to share that with you guys because I just feel it as the bride. When you're getting ready to get married, you're very aware of all the things going on. You know, we're getting ready to get married and we need to be aware of like all the things going on. And this is part of that wedding ceremony. Um, that's being attacked. So anyway, um, we love running with you guys. And um, and I think we will share those prayer points just to, you know, keep us as families like praying for Israel. And as y'all have things, feel free to reach out uh, to us to share um, how you feel like we should pray. We can send those out too. So anyway, love y'all. <laughs>